Okay, today we continue part three uh, of uh, this whole series of the time of the end. Okay, uh, I've received various questions from different groups, and I thought I just want to quickly just walk through why do we want to bother to know and understand the time of the end? Why bother? All right, let me give you several reasons. Number one, we are looking for the blessed hope. We're all looking for the blessed hope as a church. We are not looking for the Antichrist, nor are we looking about the vaccine, whether it contains the mark of the beast. Okay? That is not our concern. We'll be long gone. The mark of the beast is something that will occur in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Secondly, we will be blessed to read the Word of God. We'll be blessed in Revelation 1.3. It says that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And those who keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. He said we'll be blessed. Blessed to read, to hear, and you hear the word of God. And keep the prophetic word in our hearts and to share them with others. There will be all kinds of thoughts that will come to your mind. For example, oh, I'm going to be raptured. Ah, what's up lah? Everybody else, why do I want to bother with the rest of the details? No, you have to bother. You have to know. All right? Because you want to be blessed, you want to stay in the prophetic word, you want to stay in the Lord. As a church, as believers, we must know what is happening, and even after the rapture, what is going to take place. The third reason, you hear me mention we have 2 to 3 years to 20 to 30 years. This is all about urgency. It's about imminence of the rapture. It is not about predicting dates. Don't get me wrong there. But for sure, we're not talking about another 100 years. Given all that we know from scriptures, all right, all the dates and then all the promises and all in the covenant, we are talking about the imminency. It can happen anytime. Now, within the next two to three years, within the next 20 to 30 years, that's max as far as we understand from scriptures. All right, it's not about predicting dates. Fourthly, it's about evangelism. Every one of us, those online and on-site, we are to be burdened with the salvation of our loved ones. We are to be burdened with the salvation of people we love, people we are in regular contact, in our families, in our places of work, our friends, our colleagues. If that has not occurred to us, all right, and we thank God we've seen salvations in the last few weeks, all right, one or two here, two or three there, we are to begin to engage them in relationship and we are to learn to pray strategic prayer. The definition of a disciple in BBDC is to be an effective priest and king. As a priest, we pray. As a king, we take authority to tear down the strongholds, the arguments, the mindset that blocks the true knowledge of God. I have a relative living way down, and then there's, she has another relative who is now dying of uh, leukemia and an infected part of the pancreas and, and what have you, all right? And looking to do a bone marrow transplant. Dying. And just do not know what to do. And I just say, you just have to keep on inter interceding, standing in the gap, that the stronghold in the life of this man and the wife, all right, uh, they grew up in church, very exposed to the church and the gospel, obviously wandered way far away from God. That the Lord will touch them with His presence. The Lord will touch them and intervene in their dreams in his, uh, in the, as He visits the doctor and so forth. Evangelism, all right? Uh, you can learn all that. Go back to the priest and king message on the website, all right, about reaching out to the lost and the backslidden. The fifth reason, we are encouraged to hit the prophetic word until the rapture, all the way until the Lord takes us. 2 Peter 1.19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well 
And here is Peter saying that we do well. Early on, we read Revelations, which was written by the Apostle John. This is the Apostle Peter. We will do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star here is the Lord Jesus Christ. The day will be full of joy. The day will be full of excitement. And the sixth reason we need to know is that Revelation is progressive. Subsequently, current insights is built on previous understanding. Hence, the importance to know the time of the end. You look at Daniel, for example. I was just asking one of the pastors to check for me the date. The book of Daniel was written about 2,530 years ago, thereabouts. And when the prophecies were given to uh, Daniel, it makes no sense to him 2,530 years ago. Totally no sense. And in fact, it was written in Daniel uh, when we read, uh, went through the scriptures two uh, seasons ago. He did not understand. And then the angel Gabriel comforted him, don't worry, Daniel, you will not understand. You will not understand until the time of the end, which is today. 2,530 years plus, we are now living in the time of the end. So some of the things you are listening, you grasp some of the things you have to figure out, which is why there are a lot of questions. It's okay. I'll be repeating some of them. As you go on, as you study, as you seek the Lord, as you draw nearer to Him, you will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. This is the roadmap for the rest of the message today. All right, we're gonna, I'm going to recap about the overview of the Gentiles, Israel, and the church, and I'll talk about the rest of the stuff. So firstly, a quick recap. There are three groups of people on the earth. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 says it, they are the Jews, the Greeks or the Gentiles, and the church of God. So to better understand the prophetic scriptures, we need to know that God deals with three groups of people. All scripture is profitable, 2 Timothy 3.16, for learning, for understanding, for training in righteousness, all right, as the Holy Spirit reveals to us. But not every scripture, not every covenant is written for the church. And therefore, if we read the Gospels, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, and think that it is specifically for us, we are wrong. The parable of the ten virgins is not for the church. They are the ten virgins. This all refers to Israel. Matthew 24, 25 refers to Israel. So some are for Israel, some are to the Gentiles, and some to the church. And therefore, applying a scripture to the church when it is meant for Israel, or applying something to Israel when it's meant for the church will lead to confusion and misunderstanding of the prophetic word. Okay? So this becomes clearer and clearer. So Note that from the very beginning, when God created man, from Adam all the way to Abraham, there was mankind. There was a godly man called Enoch. He walked with God, he pursued God, he worshipped God, and he walked so closely with God, God took him out. God raptured him. And then there was a very uh, godly and righteous man, a man called Noah, in an environment that's almost a thousand years by that time, where there was violence and wickedness and evil and every atrocity. All right, uh, that was going on, and then there came the flood. But God preserved Noah. So there was a Noah covenant. There was a worldwide flood, and God covenanted with Noah, He will not destroy the earth with a worldwide flood anymore. I mean, there are floods here and there, but it's not a worldwide flood. This group of people, this mankind, were later called Gentiles. So from Genesis 12, God called a group of people unto Himself, and this is called the nation of Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham and then with his sons, Isaac and then Jacob. So this group of people uh, of Israel, uh, so there are two groups of people then, all right? So we have uh, the so-called Gentiles 
and then you have the Israelites. Now, these Israelites are subsequently called Hebrew. They were referred to the Hebrew woman and the Hebrews in the book of Exodus. And later on, they are called Jews in the New Testament. All right? So for simplicity, there are two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. So after Jesus ascended to heaven, He placed His blood on the altar in heaven. There is a perfect altar in heaven. A third group called the church was created. This is all in Hebrews 9. With this understanding, reread the whole chapter of Hebrews 9. I read it several times again. Okay? Uh, and then as the Son of Man, Jesus became the first man in this new group, Romans 8, 29. He was the firstborn amongst the brethren. And everyone today in this window of grace, and this is the crux of today's message, we're going to end today's message that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who believes and receives Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you will be saved. There is mercy today. There is grace today. And we will be a part of the church. Mercy today. All right? So pictorially, this is what we presented last week. All right? Mankind at the very beginning, on the extreme left, and then the nation of Israel was created. And then there was only Gentiles or Jews up to the point of Christ, the church. All right? The church comprised every Jew, every Gentile, anybody on the face of this earth who believes and receives Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Then you are a part of the church. Okay? And then the church will be gone. The rapture of the church. Then comes the seven-year tribulation years in which the demonic forces are going to rally in the last, uh, last days or in the very last of the seven years, nations to go against God, to go against the people of God in Israel and Jerusalem. It will be a battle called Armageddon. Jesus is going to come, he's going to wipe them out, all right? And then they will trigger off the millennial kingdom, where Israel and the church and the surviving Gentiles come together in the 1,000 years and then we go into eternity, okay? So understanding that, you find that the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is for the nation of Israel, it's not for the church. All the way up to the point until Jesus died. Okay? Uh, Romans 9.4 The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is premised on God's covenant to Israel. God has a covenant with Israel in the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. We know that from Romans chapter 9. All right, and a lot of scriptures. Uh, Romans chapter 9 in the Amplified Version. They were Israelites. They are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons. And to the Israelites, there was the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, the special covenants. And it's very interesting that the Amplified Version put in this bracket with Abraham, Moses, and David. Because these were the three key patriarchs. Of course, we pray Abraham is the same covenant to Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Moses, and David, the giving of the law, the system of the temple worship, and the original promises. So let me look at a quick summary of this Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant has got to do with the promise of literal land. This is not to the church. Right? For Israel, it's got to do with the land. Genesis 12, 1 and 2, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from all your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a covenant. This is a promise that is true to this day. Whichever nation blesses Israel will be blessed. Singapore is one of those nations. In the 60s, all right, we uh, got the Israeli advisors to help us to build our SAF. 
I was part of the artillery then, all right, and we have got these uh, Jaudi advisors, we call them Jaudi, all right, and so forth. Land, it's got to do with land. Genesis 17, 7 and 8, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. This is not fulfilled completely yet. To be God to you and your descendants after you, and I will also give to you and your descendants after you the land as an everlasting possession, and, <coughs> and I will be their God. Repeated in Genesis 13 there and Deuteronomy, and many, many more passages. Leviticus 26, 42. All right, you read the whole chapter. Then God mentioned this. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, the church did not fully understand this. They thought that the church replaced Israel. They developed a doctrine called the re replacement theology. That's all wrong. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. Then comes the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant confirmed the Abrahamic Covenant. In Exodus 6, verse 2 to 4 and verse 8, God said to Moses, I am the Lord, I appear to, and God repeated, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 4, I've also established my covenant with them to give them what? The land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, to bring you into the land, verse 8, and to give it to you as a heritage. And the other parts of Exodus, it describes the geography all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to it literally covers multiple times the land area of Israel today, all the way to Iraq, Iran, and so forth. So God gives the nation of Israel a literal, physical, earthly signs to lead them to their literal, physical, earthly land to fulfill the prophecy of the promised Jewish Messiah reigning from a literal, physical, earthly throne in the literal, physical, earthly Jerusalem, from where he will establish his literal, physical, and earthly kingdom. In the mind of every Jew, this is the gospel of the kingdom for the nation of Israel. They always want the sign, and the sign is the land. And the first sign, of course, you know, uh, the Jews came back to Israel. 1948, the nation of Israel was established. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews always want a sign. In the Mosaic Covenant, Moses did a lot of signs. We know this in Acts chapter, three verse, uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 36, where Stephen, in his account, he says, the Lord brought them out, for he had shown wonders and signs in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. Miracles, signs. The Jews always want a sign. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, he asked him for a sign. I'll mention that in a moment. All right. The Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, in a nutshell, God says, In your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be uh, established forever. That is why Jesus Christ is referred to as the son of David. He's referred to as the root and offspring of David. Mentioned in Revelation 5.5 5 and Isaiah 11.1. 1. So the promise of the land, the promise of the descendants, the promise of the coming Messiah... All right. Of course, when Jesus first came, they rejected him. They did not accept him as the Messiah. They will reign and rule. Okay. So, the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic, Davidic covenants that God established with Israel encapsulates, it summarizes the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus came onto the scene, when he was on earth, 
He told the disciples in Matthew 10, verse 5 to 8, These twelve Jesus sent them out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. The Father God sent Jesus to reach out to these covenanted people. Go rather to the lordship of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Of course, the church today, all scripture is profitable. We draw all this for ourselves as disciples to be priests and kings. But this is meant for the nation of Israel to draw them back to God. But they did not. The gospel of the king is for Israel and is accompanied by literal signs, miracles, wonders to lead the nation of Israel to their promised land, the millennial kingdom. Up to the time Jesus resurrected. After Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days on the earth before he was raptured to heaven. And during these 40 days, all right, he was preaching to them about the kingdom of God. And even up to the point in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In their minds, in the mind of the Jew, they were looking for a political Messiah, not a spiritual Messiah. I'll elaborate this in a moment. They were looking for a political Messiah. Had they received Jesus as the Lamb of God who died for their sins and so forth at Pentecost, it would have immediately been done. You don't have to spend another 2,000 years to establish the church. But it did not happen. They rejected the Lord. The gospel of grace, which we are familiar with church today, is for all mankind during the church age. The church age is from Pentecost. It will end at the rapture. It's for you. It's for me. It's for every living human being today. This is the mercy and grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God was revealed and entrusted to the Apostle Paul. I'll explain why in a moment. In Acts 20, 24, Paul spoke to the elders in the church in Ephesus. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel that we believe is entirely the mercy and grace of God. The gospel that the Jews received, Israel received, has got to, is dependent on them obeying the law, fulfilling the covenant. For us, it is purely by believing and receiving. All right? So Paul received this, uh, and he, he mentioned this in Galatians chapter 1. If you go and Google and check out when this epistle was written, a lot of the epistles written by Paul was written much, much earlier then the Gospel of Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, and so forth. So this was made known to the early church. So Galatians 1, verse 11. <clears throat> Paul says, But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. Verse 12, Galatians 1. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus personally revealed it to the Apostle Paul. And after I will explain how come, all right, how come the Jews were, re were rejected. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul was sent to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world then. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood because this was thunder and lightning. It took Paul a while to grasp. <clears throat> so what happened in verse 18, then after three years, 
He mulled over it for three years. Because before that, he was a Pharisee. And, and, and he was the uh, Saul before he became the Apostle Paul. He has to unlearn all that he has learned as a Pharisee. The Torah, the law, obedience to the law, the covenants and so forth. He has to unlearn to relearn. And how did he relearn? Through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. This gospel of grace. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Peter was the anchor for the early church. And even Peter in his preaching, he was not preaching the gospel of grace. He was preaching about repentance, <coughs> a baptismal repentance. All right? And because they crucified the Lord Jesus, go and study Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, up to chapter 5, where the gospel that Peter preached, same thing, he asked them to repent for crucifying the Lord of glory, the author of salvation and so forth. So he went to uh, Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with Peter 15 days. <clears throat> Peter also had to unlearn to relearn the gospel of grace, which Peter wrote, you find it in the epistles of Peter, or he said Paul spoke a lot of things to him, and he had to rely on the Holy Spirit to give him revelation, and Peter finally got it. Galatians 2 verse 1 to 2, then Paul spent another 14 years, he spent three years unpacking it, <clears throat> He spent another 14 years. I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation as the Holy Spirit directed and communicated to, to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, the gospel of grace, which we know today. But privately to those who were of reputation, the pillars in the church, Apostle Peter and then all the main key uh, pillars of the early church. Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Thank God for His mercy and grace when Israel rejected the Messiah. The Lord called out another group of people. You backtrack, alright, in the early days, mankind, when mankind rejected God, God called out the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel rejected God, God called out the church. The gospel of the grace of God is spelled out in the bodily death and resurrection of Christ. Peter did not preach this. You read in the first few chapters of, of, of Acts. What is the gospel of Christ? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to verse 4. This is very important. This is the crux of the gospel, which is why every weekend, and whenever we worship God, we always climax it with celebrating the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. As a church, we major on two sacraments, water baptism by immersion and the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is all about receiving the grace available through the bodily death of Christ and through the shed blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel <coughs> which I preach to you, which you also receive and in which you stand. Verse 2, by which you also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Verse 3, I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, what? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus had to come bodily. The Son of God incarnate, the Word became flesh like you and me. The only difference, He was without sin. Very important. What is the Gospel? The Lord loves us. Man is a sinner. There's always a penalty for sin. The penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. But man is unable to pay that sin. He's unable to pay the wages of sin, the consequences of sin. So Jesus came as man without sin. 
and he took the penalty. He paid the penalty on our behalf. So how did he come? He came bodily. He died for us. He took the penalty. Verse 4, he was buried and very importantly, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Which is why, church, when we sing and worship God, whenever we talk about his resurrection and his coming back again, we must get excited. All the words that we sang, living hope, Christ the cornerstone, and what was the song we sang just now? You cannot just stand there and sing. We must be excited. If you're not excited about the gospel, I don't know what else you're going to be excited about. This is the gospel. This is the core and crux of our belief system, the gospel. The gospel of the grace of God is for all who believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. All these are basic stuff you learn from Sunday school. Basic stuff when you first come to know Jesus. You know John 3.16. But this is packed. John 3.16 is packed in the 1 Corinthians 15. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus has to come as man, but without sin. He has to be crucified, died, killed, buried, rose again. <clears throat> that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How is somebody safe? How is somebody becoming a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God? Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if we confess with our mouth, that means we receive Jesus, the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts, is our entire soul, our mind, our heart, our soul, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the only condition for salvation. Not works. Attending church prayer meeting will not save you. Coming to our church worship service will not save you. Getting water baptized in and of itself will not save you. Knowing the name of a pastor will not save you. Giving gifts to pastor will not save you. There are people who think that they can get close to pastors and church leaders, alright, and buy them great meal, six-star restaurant, alright, you are close to them physically, somehow or other it will rub onto you, forget about it, nothing is going to happen. The only thing that can save you is in verse 10, with the heart you believe unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's all. It's completely dependent on the grace and mercy of God. Which is why the church is the trophy of the mercy and the grace of God. This is to provoke the Jews, Israel, to jealousy. For them, they have to obey the law. For them, they have to obey the commandments which they say they can obey, but they fail. But for us today, for every mankind, Jew and Gentile, we are all mostly Gentiles here. Chinese, Indians, Eurasians, whatever. We are all Gentiles. By grace are we saved through faith, by believing, not of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be saved. It is the gift of God, not of works. The gospel of the grace of God is the finished blood atonement that imputes God's righteousness to sinners who believe and receive Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, the first He is the Father God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, that means He was perfect, He has no sin. To be sin for us means that on the cross, the sins, your sins, my sins, past, present, future, and the sins of all mankind was placed upon the Lord Jesus. He bore our sins on the cross. This is called the divine exchange. And when we believe and receive Him, we become the righteousness of God. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. The only basis to come into the presence of God is through Jesus. 
Not whether you prayed harder, not whether you read the Bible, not whether you uh, attended the church or online or on-site. The only basis to come into the presence of God is by the blood of the Lamb and Jesus, our High Priest. Romans 4, verse 4 to 8, Now to him who works, work, <clears throat> the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. When you work, you deserve a salary. When you work, you deserve a bonus. When you, de when you work, the reciprocity is your employer must give you something back. Exchange. But to him who does not work, which is for us, the church, verse 5 of Romans 4, we do not work, but we believe on Jesus who justified the ungodly. We are all ungodly. Our faith in believing and receiving Him is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, just as David also de describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from our works. We are blessed, church. The church is blessed because all we need to do is to believe. There's nothing that you can do. Not of works as any man should boast. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Thank God. We all got skeletons in the closet. I've lived for 67 years. A lot of sins. A lot of things I've done that are wrong. A lot of things that I, that I should have done, I failed to do for 67 years. Thank God with Christ, there is forgiveness. Thank God there is no condemnation for all of us in Christ. This is the gospel. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Meaning that the Lord is not going to remember. Ah, remember when you were 21 years old, when you were in national service, uh, you went to Taiwan and this and the other. Remember when you were 25 working in the bank, all right, you stole this document uh, from this client and the other. Remember uh, what you said about this other uh, boss and so forth. Remember, remember, all that is under the blood, covered by the blood. The devil can no longer point a finger. That's why it's so important to bring our past under the blood. So important to confess our sins and be washed and no longer under guilt and condemnation. We come to the last part to try to put it together. The key fundamental differences between the gospel of the kingdom, which is for Israel, and the gospel of grace, which is for everybody today. All right? Now, because I need to compact the words, GOK is gospel of the kingdom. GOG is gospel of grace, all right? Those online and on-site. Pay attention to the slides. The first difference, the gospel of the kingdom is for the Jews. The gospel of grace is for all men, all right? Very clearly. Matthew 10, verse 5 to 6 is the gospel of the kingdom. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Reread the gospels. Study the word of God. All right? But the gospel of grace, Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's also known as the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Everyone who believes for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, or for the Gentiles. So initially, the early church comprised believers which are mainly Jews. Apostle Peter, the 3,000 that were saved, the 5,000 that were saved, all mainly Jews. Because, but this, because they subsequently rejected and resisted the Holy Spirit, the gospel went to the rest of the world. The second difference, saints in the gospel of kingdom do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because they were covered by the blood of animals which were temporary. 
except for the Jews who believe in Jesus in the early church in Pentecost. But saints in the gospel of grace have the indwelling Holy Spirit because we are forgiven, cleansed, and covered by the blood of Jesus, which is perfect. The blood of goats and animals are not perfect. See, Israel, Jews as a nation, Israel as a nation have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, have rejected Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for their sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, when we believe in Jesus, our body, our lives is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Third difference, righteousness in the kingdom of, uh, in the gospel of the kingdom is the person, personal righteousness. We read in Ezekiel 14, all these verses which I covered uh, last year in the Priest and King series. So for example, in Ezekiel 14, uh, verse 14 and 20, God says that even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were there, they would deliver only themselves by their own personal righteousness. How do you have your own personal righteousness? Obedience to the law. Read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18. All right. Verse 16 and verse 18, And even if these three men were in it, says the Lord, they would neither deliver sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Whereas in the gospel, uh, repeated in Ezekiel 18.20, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Personal. It's all personal righteousness. Whereas in the gospel of grace, we receive God's righteousness. We receive God's righteousness when we believe in Jesus, our sins buried and covered by His blood. All right? Romans 10, verse 3 and 4. For they, the Jews, are ignorant of God's righteousness. They seek to establish their own righteousness, forgetting that all men's righteousness, all our own attempts are feeble. We can never earn the approval of God. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God, which is made available in Jesus, the Lamb of God. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Fourth difference, in the gospel of the kingdom, there is no assurance of salvation. Gospel of Matthew, verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 13. Jesus says, he who, uh, uh, Matthew says, he who endures, he who works, he who obeys the law, all the way to the end, then they are saved. Consistent with the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18. Whereas, for in the gospel of grace, we are eternally secured in Christ. We are sealed to Corinthians 1.22 and given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1.13, we have believed, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Therefore, every truly born-again believer, you are born again, you have believed and received Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you have surrendered your life to God, you are saved. You have the Holy Spirit and you will be raptured. This is the assurance of salvation. The fifth difference, the association in the gospel of the kingdom is primarily with the Jewish nation. But in the gospel of grace, our association is with the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we are the body of Christ. So we have believers all over the world. I've got a person in Lebanon, for example, in contact with me, all right, with the recent bombing from the port. I got people from in Romania, Bucharest, in contact with me. He's a Romanian. I got people in Mongolia, and just yesterday I was just corresponding with my, with my contact in Togo. All right, to do this monthly uh, leadership sessions over Zoom. They are all believers. All of us belong to the body of Christ. When I go to Burkina Faso, I say I do not come here as a stranger. 
I come here as your brother in the name of Christ. Yes, I'm invited by you, all right, but we are fellow brothers and therefore I can speak to you as you invite me, all right. I carry the anointing that comes from, from, from my own life, from my church, from Singapore, all right. I, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And therefore, as you receive me, you will receive a prophet's reward, a righteous man reward, a godly man reward as you receive me, as I speak the oracles of God. Our, we are all part and parcel of the same body of Christ. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not on earth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're Singapore citizens or PR of Singapore or, or Malaysia or whatever. But ultimately, as children of God, as a church, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So unlike Israel, the church destiny is not tied <clears throat> to a physical location on earth. Israel, their destiny is tied with the land of Israel, with Jerusalem and the whole area which God promised them. <clears throat> the original promised land that God gave to Israel. Our citizenship, <clears throat> the church, is in heaven. Ephesians 2, Paul elaborated it a bit clearer. Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 16 and 18. He says in verse 14, For Jesus himself is our peace. He made both Jew and Gentile one in the body of Christ. Today, every Jew and Gentile who believes in him, they are one. Verse 15, So as to create in himself one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile, thus making peace. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. Verse 18, for through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by the Holy Spirit to the Father God, the sovereign God, the eternal God, the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The church. How? The gospel of grace. Thank God for his mercy and grace. The sixth difference, <clears throat> the next immediate prophecy for the gospel of the kingdom for Israel is the time of Jacob's trouble. Because they rejected God, and I'll explain now, alright? It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the seven tribulation years, seven years of tribulation. Why? Okay, let me go line by line. Because fundamentally, they rejected Jesus when He came for them. Israel has been looking for a political Messiah, as in the time of Jesus, to rid themselves of the Roman occupation. Today is the same thing. <clears throat> They're looking for the Messiah to give them peace and security in their own land from the enemies. They're constantly harassed because they rejected God. God says, because you reject me, all the enemies around them, the immediate nations around them, which will culminate in the Psalms 83 war, and then the outer ring of the other nations led by Russia, Iran, and Turkey that's going to come in the Ezekiel 38-39 war. What is Israel looking for? What is their main cry? Peace and security. Ever since 1948 to today, 2021 January, this is one thing they've been fighting for, crying out to God for. They're looking for the Messiah. So they're looking for the Messiah to do so, and ultimately they will be deceived by the Antichrist because they rejected the Messiah who actually came, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have never believed up to now that they needed a spiritual Messiah to save them from their sins because they thought they had the law of Moses even though we know that the law kills and no one is able to keep the law perfectly. They keep on boasting, as in the time of Jesus, we have the law of Moses, we have Abraham. All right? They fail to see that Jesus was the only man-God, God-man on earth, who ever did. What does Israel want? They want a warrior king, not a suffering servant 
who came and died for the sins of the world and who came and died for Israel and for the Gentiles and for every living soul on the face of this earth. Let me explain further. So Israel earlier rejected John the Baptist sent by the Father God. John the Baptist preached the gospel of repentance. Then they rejected and crucified the Lord Jesus. And three days later, Jesus rose again, fulfilling the sign of Jonah to prove his authenticity as the Son of God. You read Matthew 12, 39, 40, the Jews again asked for a sign, who are you? Are you the Son of God? All right, Jesus says, I give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? That he'll be killed, he'll be buried, he'll be buried and he'll be in the earth three days and three nights and after that, the sign, he will rise again. He gave them the sign, but because they were spiritually blinded, they failed to do so and look out for that. So, and after Jesus resurrected, Jesus spent 40 days on earth. Israel had 40 days after Jesus' resurrection to recognize the sign of his resurrection and to receive him as their Messiah, but they did not. That's why spiritual blindness is very dangerous. When we are blind spiritually, when the sign is right before our eyes, we see, cannot see. You still cannot see. Then Jesus ascended to heaven, fulfilling another prophecy. Hosea 5.15 He said, Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face and in their misery. When will this happen? The seventh tribulation years. They will earnestly seek me. It will be terrible times. And only the remnant Jews will be saved in the last three and a half years. The Lord provided another window. He called Stephen, <clears throat> filled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost in the early church. And he addressed the Jewish council. In, towards the end of chapter 6 of Acts, you read that he addressed the whole council. The council, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, so they represent the nation of Israel. And Stephen, when he preached his message in Acts chapter 7, he traced God's covenant again, repeated. The God's covenant with Abraham, reminding them God's covenant with Moses, God's covenant with David. But they rejected Stephen. And what happened worse than that? They stoned him to death. And this was the last straw. God's dealings with Israel is now suspended. What Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks are determined for your people, people for Israel. 69 weeks, it could have happened right there, but they rejected. This last one week of seven years is suspended to be the tribulation years. The kingdom of, of God began with Israel. We know that from Exodus chapter 19, where God says, I will call for my people a treasured possession. I will carry them on eagle's wings. But because of their disobedience and rejection of the revelation of God, the kingdom of God was taken from Israel and given to the church. Matthew 21, 43. Jesus himself said, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, Israel, and given to a nation. The word nation is an ethnic group, a people's group. This is the church. And given to the church, bearing the fruits of it. We are the church. God then revealed the gospel of grace to Paul for all mankind in this church age. And this is very clearly understood by the council of the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15. We just refer this to as the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. After the church is raptured, the kingdom of God will then be restored to Israel. 
And these were the words by James, the lead elder, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the council of Jerusalem. He says, The Lord will first take from among the Gentiles a people for Himself, referring to the church. And after that, will return to rebuild David's fallen tabernacle, which was prophesied by the prophet Amos, to rebuild the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is any Jew, anybody can come to the presence of God, don't have to go through the tabernacle of Moses. It was just the ark, the presence of God, covered by the tabernacle, the tent. <clears throat> Paul confirmed this in Romans 11, 20, verse 25 to 26. Paul says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. He called this the mystery. Why? Why were the Jews suspended? He called it a mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness, spiritual blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. They are spiritually blind. There is a veil over them until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I believe in the study of missiology and the gospel and the mission agencies and so forth, almost every people's group in the world have access to the gospel within a 50-kilometer radius. Within a 50-kilometer radius to the next town and so forth, local churches are established. I was very impressed by example, this brother Batra in Mongolia. One of his uh, ministry under crew is to plant churches and he would, they would drive for hundreds of kilometers. The longest is almost a thousand kilometers. Every time 400 kilometers, 600 kilometers, 800 kilometers uh, and then through the snow and the very cold weather in Mongolia. And what the press we pray for him is for safety. All right? I've been on one of the trips with him all the way from, uh, from uh, Ulaanbaatar all the way to the Gobi Desert. There's another, I don't know, six, seven hundred kilometers. And through quite rough terrain. So blindness in part has happened to Israel, spiritual blindness, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What is this fullness of the Gentiles? Exactly, we do not know. My personal belief is we are nearing that, all right? The fullness of the Gentiles. That means the gospel has reached to every part and corner of the world. And then after that, verse 26 of Romans 11, and so all Israel will be safe. They will be safe. It's going through the tribulation. It'll be terrible times. The sixth difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. The next immediate prophecy in the gospel of the kingdom is the time of Jacob's trouble. <clears throat> Towards the end of the seven years, Israel will repent at Jesus' second coming after the tribulation. Verse 10, Zechariah 12, And I'll pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Because by then, the veil, the spiritual blindness, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a veil over them. Because they rejected Moses, they rejected the prophets, they keep on rejecting. Let me just sidetrack a bit. As you study scriptures, God first revealed to Solomon, for the nation, if you sin, then you do 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then God is going to come back. If the nation calls out to God. But by the time it came to the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel, if the nation sinned so far, rejecting God all the way, God told Jeremiah and Ezekiel, don't pray for the nation anymore. That means they reached the point of no return. This is just my personal opinion. America, USA. My personal opinion, they're very near the point of no return. They'll get the government that they want, they get the state of affairs that they want. 
Look at the opening prayer of this so-called pastor who is not the born-again pastor that we know who prayed this prayer to whatever God said is out there in the name of whatever God and so on and so forth. And look at them saying, Amen and our woman. It's all public news now. You can just Google. Alright? Amen and our woman. And this is just stupidity. We are living in such times. And when they redefine father, mother, husband, wife, and they just call it a third party, a third gender, they won't refer to male and female, men and women, <coughs> husbands and wives, all right? Because they want to be uh, all-inclusive. The Bible says in Romans 1, this is stupidity, a depraved mind. Their thinking will become futile. And that goes for any nation. Next week, there's the Singapore Pastors' Prayer Summit. And one reason why Singapore is blessed, I want to submit to you, it's because of the prayer of the church in Singapore. Because churches, which is why in BPTC, we always will pray for Singapore, for the government of Singapore. Which is why we always will stand for righteousness. Pray for righteous men and women in all the high places all the way down. If the church fails, God holds the church responsible for the affairs of the nation. And you look at the confusion and the anger and the angst among Christians in the U.S., and I see Matthew 24 happening where the, with the increase of lawlessness, the love of many, the agape of many Christians will grow cold. Many are cold. They are disillusioned about this prophecy, that prophecy. They are disillusioned about this so-called Christian and that Christian. This is what's happening. Confusion, disillusionment, discouragement, despair. That is the state we don't want to be in. Don't ever take the peace and security we have for granted. Don't ever take the health of the church for granted. Don't ever take, take for granted that we can worship God and sense the presence of God and have all this, that we don't have to scramble for our lives. Like what is happening to the believers in China today? Zechariah 12, I was just reading verse 10. God will pour the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the veil is removed, whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn, they will repent for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Verse 11, Zechariah 12, In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. Verse 12, And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. Every group, every subgroup, every family, every tribe of Israel will mourn and realize they have crucified the Messiah. And they have been deceived and disillusioned by believing in the false Messiah, the Antichrist. By signing the peace treaty that triggered off the whole seven years. And I've said at the Blessed Hope message that all these Abrahamic covenants with Bahrain and with UAE, this is just a precursor of the ultimate covenant where Israel will be so deceived and to confirm it with the Antichrist in the time to come. But for the church in the Gospel of Grace, what is the next event? The rapture. 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you a mystery again. This word mystery. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Dollar himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Those who are dead in Christ, they will rise first. Then we who are remaining, who are alive, we will be caught up together with, the, uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the end. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. The seventh difference <coughs> between the two Gospels is that in, in the Gospel of the Kingdom is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham, Moses, and David. After the seven years 
All right? After the gap of 75 days, you'll be triggered off this, the millennial kingdom. God will fulfill His covenant with Israel. But for the church, it is the fulfillment of the covenant that Father God made with the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 7, 22. Jesus has become the guarantee, the surety of a better covenant. Hebrews 8, 6. For He has obtained a more excellent ministry in much as He is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The Lord's Supper, where you take the bread and drink the cup, is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant is the better covenant based on better promises. And by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and me, we have access to the grace of God. We have access to provision, to protection, to the peace of God, to the presence of God, and all the promises and every grace that is available for every man and woman in Christ. Better covenant. The eighth difference is that the final judgment for the gospel of the kingdom will be the great white throne at the end of the 1,000 millennial years. Revelation 20 verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. But for the church, in the gospel of grace, after the rapture will be the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where each one of us will give an account of how we live our lives, how we have walked with God, and how we have served Him. Bottom line. What is the bottom line? Luke 19, 41 to 44. Jesus drew near. He saw the city, the city of Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. He's saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from you. Basically, he's telling them, Jerusalem is going to be trampled by the Romans. And what was the verdict? End of verse 44. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Israel was held accountable for rejecting the Messiah. Every time you have an encounter with God, every time you hear the Word of God, that's why the Hebrew says, do not harden your heart. Every time God speaks to you personally, every time the Holy Spirit draws your mind and your heart, your full attention on a matter in your life, on an issue in your life, on a relationship, on your finances, on your marriage, on your family, on your work, every time God speaks to you, you are held accountable for that revelation. If you don't respond to God, a layer of spiritual blindness will come upon your heart, the eyes of your heart. Continue in disobedience, another layer of blindness will come. And until such a point where it is hardened, it becomes spiritual blindness. And maybe just too late. Matthew 16, verse 1 to 3. Israel was also held accountable for failing to discern the signs. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they tested Jesus. They, he asked them to show a sign. Jesus said to them, when it is evening, you know it is evening. It's fair weather, it's fair weather. Now, now we look in Singapore, right? It's rainy season. You look at the sky, the dark clouds coming, or oh, you know it's going to rain. We can interpret the weather by looking at the signs in the sky, the clouds, whether it's bright blue sky, sunshine, or it is dark clouds, heavy dark clouds, when it's going to rain. He says, uh, it will be fair weather today you can, when the sky is straight and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Israel was held accountable for failing to discern the signs. 
Over the last few messages, we shared a lot of signs. COVID-19 is a precursor of worse plagues to come. Worse things will come that will be exponential. The cryptocurrencies, the artificial intelligence, the bitcoins are all this precursor to ultimately the mark of the base. The whole world now is talking about the vaccine. Do you take the vaccine? Not to take the vaccine. Is it, are they going to trace you? This whole hoo-ha in parliament just a few days, trace together. You mean they will know my data, where I go and so forth? All right, paranoid. And the parliament now has to enact a law. It will only be used and released to the police where the criminal, where crime is committed. All these things are signs. And you look at the US, it's very clear sign. Look at issue, very clear sign. The bottom line question. Do you recognize the signs that Jesus is coming back very soon? Yeah, we talk about oh, it's years away, two to three years away, 20, 30 years. I don't know. But these are all signs. Signs to realign our life. Realign our life. To reset our priorities. If you have been coming to church, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? If you're not, after as we end the service, those of you watching online, you may have referred to this worship service by a friend, but you have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will miss the rapture, you will be left behind. And if you are a believer, are you getting ready? Are you constantly watching and praying? And like what we said earlier on, what has all this got to do with me? Why do I want to bother about, about the prophetic scriptures? Because it has re relevance. You want to be blessed, you want to be kept in the faith. You want to be constantly watching on your radar screen. You don't want to wear away because when spiritual blindness come, even you have, the Bible warns in 2 Peter 1, you will even have forgotten 1 John 1 9. You have forgotten that you've been saved, forgotten that you've been forgiven. You know this cliche, people say, oh, don't worry, I live my life, I eat, drink and be merry. When it's time to repent, I'll receive and confess my sins 1 John 1 9. Fat hope. You heard me say that before. Because you have strayed so far, you've been so spiritually blinded, you've been lost in your sins. There is no peace for the wicked. But I want to end this whole message with hope. But today we are in the window of grace. Today is the church age. And the grace and the mercy of God is available for every human being. Even your stubborn husband or your stubborn daughter-in-law or your very difficult grandfather who refused to believe in Jesus you tried for so many years. I tried for 46 years before my father came to know the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. So church, let us seize the day, so to speak. This is the window of grace where we must humble ourselves, cry out to God, be a disciple, be a priest to learn to pray and be a king to take authority and intercede and pray strategic prayers over those who are lost, those who are backslidden, those who are wayward. 